0: Hello and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground
1: between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing the 2022 films Something in the Dirt and Don't Worry Darling. Warning, spoilers ahead. I feel like we always wait. We have, like, this big pause after yeah. our intro where we're, like, waiting for one person to break the silence.
0: <laughs> Anything new going on with you?
1: Not really. I'm just living in the days of work and stuff, so. Days with a Z. Yep, the days. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of getting some stuff under control, finally, so. Just, like, the mountain of work that I've been working on is, ah, sometimes it just feels, like, insurmountable. But we made progress this week, and I don't feel as disorganized as other weeks, so that's been really nice. That's good. I've been spending a lot of time in the cafe, and it's just Panera. I made it sound cooler than it is, (laughs) but I found it, like, easier to do menial tasks on my computer when I'm like in a new environment. So Oh really? That's been how I've been switching it up. Yeah, it's been good. It's cool. What have you been up to, Remy? Um, I joined a book club. <laughs> Ooh. Where? The
0: library? Oh no. Just some friends. My actually my best friend from college who I talked about in our um spooky season under top five mm-hmm. episode recently. He's the one that gave me all those good book recs that I then
1: nice. had in my top
0: five. And we've been texting because um, Cormac McCarthy published a book for the first time in, I want to say, 16 years? 14 or 16 years. It's been a minute. And my friend, he's uh, been a long-time Cormac fan. So... He and two of his friends from his hometown that I met, you know, back in college, Mm -hmm. formed a book club and they invited me to join. So fun! Yeah, it's just me and the boys reading some
1: (laughs) Cormac McCarthy. I love that. What's that book called? The Passenger. The Passenger. That sounds really familiar. I must have seen it on some kind of book social media probably yeah just came
0: out a few weeks ago now i'm you know pacing myself at the rate that the book club dictates and then there's going to be like a associated volume two that is coming Uh, out in december so we want to try to finish the passenger by the time that next one
1: comes out that's so Uh nice i know isn't that fun i know yeah (laughs) so sweet Oh, I love that! Yeah, yeah, Scott and I do that, but it's just a book club of two. Yeah, um, it helps you get out of the reading slumps. I feel like to have yeah. like accountability and people to talk about books with and stuff. So,
0: yeah, and we all do. I think a, a wide variety of things for work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we definitely are coming to To the club with very different perspectives. (laughs) You should
1: invite them to be guests on the pod when you guys are all done. And you guys can talk about (laughs) the passenger. Perhaps, perhaps. Then I'd have to tell
0: them I have a pod. (laughs) Be brave. Oh, you know I'm not (laughs) brave. (laughs) But yeah, I'm excited to um, hear what everyone thinks about the book. And I'm trying to... Also, be brave and tackle the second draft edit for the book that I'm working on. Yay! Which is kind of. I've, I'm finding it psychologically difficult oh, to really? undertake that because I'm worried I'll go back and read the first draft and be like, this thing is unsalvageable. <laughs> <For laughs>
1: That's not true.
0: <laughs> <do. laughs> no.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I know, I just need to bite the bullet and follow like the advice from the uh, writing pods that I've been listening to um, Mm -hmm. for like, you know, steps of revision and things of that nature. So yeah, but I'm hoping, you know, stuff like the book club and keeping up with reading Mm -hmm. really good books will kind of help with inspiration and just put me in the mindset to consider uh, what makes a book work on a larger scale, if that makes sense. For sure. Don't let
1: it, like, stall you. Yeah, I'm so
0: bad at stalling. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my vices. (laughs) I think it has the potential to be good, Mm -hmm. and as long as I keep keep trying and don't lose focus on the big picture stuff mm-hmm. then you know it'll be something
1: i'll be more active on the accountability sheet and then you'll feel like you have to yeah to do it
0: yeah that's what i told the book club when they were trying to figure out how to pace everyone i was like hi i respond well to concrete As deadlines, deadlines. <laughs> yeah I, I need a page amount and a date, and then I'm all set. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. And I was ready.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Fun. <sighs> Anything else? That's the major stuff. Thanks. All right. Should we jump in to the topics for today? Let's do it. Let me tell you
0: about my favorite piece of media for the week, which is the recent film, Something in the Dirt. And this is the latest film from the directorial team, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Um, You might know them from their previous films, Resolution, Spring, The Endless, or Synchronic. Kat, I know that you have seen Synchronic Uh because we watched that together at Friday Night Movie Club. Uh Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really notable nights where we had to break into, God, I want to (laughs) say four different lecture halls to find an (laughs) AV system that would work. That was Uh, an adventure. That was so good. That was great. What a good time. Yeah. So Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are like a creative team who write and direct these films together and they have a long track record of collaboration on a lot of um, sci-fi-centric original screenplays. And so I became aware of them a few years ago now. All credit to Will. He's been a fan of theirs longer than anyone I know. And he was the first one to show me their movies. I think the first one I saw, it was either Resolution or The Endless.
1: Have you seen either of those? I haven't. The only movie I've watched from them is Synchronic. But I loved Synchronic.
0: Yeah, me too. So good. And so, yeah, Will has been a big fan of theirs as well for a long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, we've both been anticipating something in the dirt since it was announced and the trailer came out and all of those things because we we're in a city where... It's screening because it's out on limited release at the time of this recording. It came out a couple weeks ago,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and one day, a couple days before the film came out or was released into theaters, I was scrolling through Twitter on my lunch break, and I saw an announcement that the that something in the dirt was playing here on you know that saturday evening and there was going to be A Q&A with the directors at that screening oh my gosh. and i was like oh holy shit and so i texted will right away i was like if we go see this movie um this weekend and the directors are there would you go with me mm-hmm. because he's hard to get to the theater he doesn't mm-hmm. It's not his preference. He's like a watch movies at home type of person, and I'm a watch movies in the theater type of person. But mm-hmm. he was like, "Yeah, I'll definitely go to that." So I snapped up some tickets for us, and a couple of our local friends went as well. Nice. And so we got to see it in the theater with Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead there, and That's we watched so a Q and A with them after, and it was just extremely exciting. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I hope I get the opportunity to do a lot more event type things like that in the future or at yeah. least take advantage of it while I'm in a major city
2: mm-hmm. where
0: things yeah. like that take place.
1: Yeah. It seems ripe with opportunities for that. So mm-hmm. that's so cool. Oh, yeah. Wow. That must have been a really cool experience.
0: Yeah. But of course, again, I was five to 10 minutes late. <laughs> Because of the aforementioned stalling. <laughs> to be you fair, stall though. stall
1: even for things that you
0: like doing. Oh, yeah. I'll stall for anything. Our entire party was late, though. There was, like, a weird thing that happened on the way there. So uh. we were anticipating buffer time for previews, but I don't... I think they might not have had them because it was a special event. Ah. Uh. And so we missed the very beginning. Classic me. And so... <laughs> I like got in there. I was like, "Oh God, it's already started!" And I ran to my seat and sat down. And we watched the whole movie and then watched the Q and A. And it was a really interesting film for them because coming off of Sim- Synchronic as their most recent film, which was I, it has to be like their biggest budget, most mm, I don't know how to describe it. They're independent filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And they typically have, like, smaller-scale budgets and not, like, huge, massive productions with big movie stars in the way that Synchronic Mm -hmm. was. And in Something in the Dirt, they kind of make a return to their roots of more independent-style filmmaking Mm -hmm. in that it's a very small cast. There were very few sets and locations And that made total sense when they contextualized it as their pandemic film. So Mm. under the constraints of, you know, fewer people and not being able to move around as much, that made perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Something else that made something in the dirt stand out from their previous work is that it's made mostly in the style of kind of found footage slash faux documentary.
1: Yeah, I saw that, and I was like, that piques my interest immediately. Right, you would have seen that from the trailer. Mm -hmm, Yeah, Um, which I just watched. Yeah,
0: that reminds me, I should say, I want to try to make this not very spoiler-heavy, so I'll Mm -hmm. try to keep it to just what you can glean from the trailer, as best as I can. And I know, Kat, you really love a found footage type, yes, film. So I think this would definitely be up your alley. Yeah, definitely in my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, But essentially, the basic plot is that you're watching this, you know, faux documentary that these two guys who are um, portrayed by Benson and Moorhead, they're the two leads, Which they they did in some of their earlier films, like The Endless as well. They're the co-lead actors here. And they play neighbors in an apartment complex in L.A. And one of them, in their apartment, they start to experience these weird metaphysical phenomena. And they decide as a team that they want to seize this opportunity, which seems, you know spatially specific to that apartment and they want to document it with you know film and make a documentary and you know potentially sell it to Netflix or someone mm-hmm. that's their plan and it's interesting because their characters are sort of chronic underachiever type mm-hmm. people um Justin Benson's character he is, you know, someone who moved to LA to be in the entertainment industry but their, you know, career never really took off and he has lingering feelings of not having met some sort of potential
2: mm.
0: and that theme with his character is explored throughout the film. And so they agree that they want to document this to the best of their ability and try to investigate what the source of these phenomena are and whether there's any meaning to what they are observing and documenting. And so that's the basic premise. Um, You're basically following those two characters as they investigate and try to uncover what's going on, why this is happening in the apartment, and what are the basic properties of the things they're observing, like objects levitating and lights and gravitational field disturbances and those types of phenomena.
1: Do they have any scientific background? Are they, like, qualified to be investigating these things, or...? No, none whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) I love that.
0: Yes. Which gives it a really, um, ugh, they definitely have amateur investigator mm-hmm. vibes as they're approaching this documentary. They don't even have experience, like, as documentary filmmakers, mm-hmm. let alone people that would approach this phenomena with any type of scientific eye. Mm-hmm. So it's just them making these recordings and kind of looking up things on Wikipedia and going down rabbit holes on Reddit. And it is very much, it really captures that energy of what can happen when you pursue something unexplainable and attribute it to any number of conspiratorial rabbit holes, if that makes sense. Um, In a lot of ways it, it kind of, highlights the dangers of that how easy it is for people to fall into that trap of conspiracy theorizing
2: mm-hmm.
0: and just an endless loop of confirmation bias mm-hmm. when you have access to so many theories that you can fit to anything you're observing
1: there's no social commentary there for sure
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah um it's also
0: interesting too because it kind of serves as um fuel in in a lot of ways that's the the amateur approach that the characters are taking and their kind of wild theorizing make this i would say the most humorous of their mm-hmm. films that i've mm-hmm. seen so far there were a lot of moments that were really funny and definitely showed how ridiculous um the 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 ridiculous things that people can pursue when mm. they're kind of grasping at straws to explain something unexplainable mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's a really atmospheric film it's really the You know that you're in L.A. the entire time, and they talk about the energy and the spirit of L.A. a lot. So I think anyone that's ever lived there or enjoyed visiting there would probably really enjoy that aspect of the movie. I've never been myself, so I can't really speak to that. But it definitely has a really strong presence of their immediate environment. And since they live in LA and i think i don't know if i read this somewhere and it was true or not it might have been one of their actual apartments that they were filming oh, in wow. so it's like very personal to to them and so yeah you can definitely tell that anyone that is in the entertainment industry and in that area i think they had like a special appreciation for mm-hmm. what they captured in this film But overall, I think it's a story about like obsession and ambition and how just pursuing things blindly can ultimately be a pitfall in a way, Mm. even though having ambition and pursuing a goal can also be something that's very meaningful and can propel you forward in your life. I think it can be a double-edged sword or at least uh, a coin with two different sides. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the trailer, you hear from voiceover that one of the two main characters does not survive the filmmaking process.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And that ultimate outcome, I think was a really interesting choice. And it's actually something I'm still trying to interpret. If I had been brave enough to ask a question and had the wherewithal to formulate a question at the q and A, I I probably would have asked something about the demise of the that specific character and what the ultimate message of that was. But I would say the main mindset that I would encourage people to have going into this film would be to just keep an open mind and don't necessarily expect a really clean, clear-cut answer to all of the questions and mysteries that are being presented to you. Um, I think that's another reason why this film stands apart from their previous work for me because in all of those previous films that they've done, there's been a a central answer or a central force that is the answer for all of these strange sci-fi happenings that you're observing. Um, but the answers in this movie are not as clean and organized i suppose as their previous the previous um films that they've done and so i would say just don't get too caught up in expecting a lot of answers to things that's like the one i guess spoilery thing that i'll say about it mm-hmm. but yeah overall i definitely recommend going out and seeing it i think that I mean, if you have access to it, if this episode goes up in time and you're in a place where the limited release is happening, definitely check it out. Um, Kat, you pointed out that it's scheduled to come to streaming on November 22nd, correct?
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it said on demand everywhere, so.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah, so definitely check it out if you are interested in sci-fi genre type things this is a really fun a really fun approach to that genre and i think that it make it's making me really excited to see what they do next because i guess i conceptualized the trajectory of their work going in a specific direction after synchronic came out and it was like much more polished and big budget than mm-hmm. their previous projects and now that i see them returning more towards their roots as independent filmmakers it's really exciting to see a team that just consistently puts out such dynamic and original work so i definitely encourage anyone to check it out and support them and i'm really excited to see what they do next because they seem like really cool people. And I really enjoyed watching the Q&A because they had just really positive and supportive, collaborative energy. And it's just really nice to see a team like that that's been working together for so long. And I don't know, it's just really pleasant and I like it. And I hope they keep making stuff
1: for a long time. Do you have a favorite of their films? Good question. I don't know. I think <laughs> it would
0: depend on what mood mm-hmm. you catch me in because I definitely have a soft spot for resolution. I don't know if that's just because that's the first one of theirs mm-hmm. that I saw, but I also, I mean, obviously Synchronic is really fun and I love the Concept for that, and mm-hmm. I loved the execution as well. Yeah. Um, and I really like the structure of the Endless mm-hmm. and how you learn
1: information in that one. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I don't think I could to pick a favorite. Yeah. Also, they're so different from one another. So yes, it's hard to be able to compare apples to oranges there. Exactly. Yeah, it's very much.
0: In their wheelhouse of original, sort of metaphysical, mind-bending mm-hmm. sci-fi storytelling. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I was very intrigued by the trailer, and I thought that it was just really pretty what they were doing. Like, yeah, it it they had some really beautiful like shots in the trailer, and I was like, ooh, I like what's going on there. So.
0: Yeah, something else that's really interesting about their work is that both of them, I believe, contribute to the visual effects. Mm. And they have very a very small visual effects team mm-hmm. and they put, you know, like a lot of hours into making sure everything looks the way they want it to look. They talked about that a little bit after the film and I had no idea they you know, contributed on that
1: end of the production as well. So I thought that was really interesting. They can do it all, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. That's so cool. I'll have to watch that. And then we'll have to do a spoiler update. (laughs) Kat, what's your favorite thing from this week? So my favorite thing is Don't Worry, Darling. And I... I have to say that I was a little nervous to go see the movie. I know that there was a lot of drama surrounding its release and I was like having a bit of hesitation. The initial reviews of it were not great. It did not have good, it did not have like a good Rotten Tomatoes score. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like it, but it seems up my alley. So I'm going to take a chance on it. And I was very pleasantly surprised I thought it was super entertaining. I can't wait to watch it again. I um had it slated to watch this weekend because it just came out on HBO Max, but um ran out of time. So I just watched some of the scenes that I wanted to refresh myself on. But um overall, I hope that it kind of transcends the drama around it because it's a fantastic film. And if that's One of the reasons you were, like, hesitating on seeing this film, I highly recommend watching it. I thought it was really entertaining. The general premise of the film is that you are in this little town, this little community. It seems kind of like a gated HOA-type community, (laughs) and everyone in it is dressing kind of like they're in the 50s, 60s era, and... Um, you can very quickly tell that there's kind of an organization that all of the men are a part of. They are going off to work every morning and working on this like top secret project up on the top of a mountain. And the wives just kind of hang out. They go do their dance class. They, um, just kind of vibe all day, uh, do housework and stuff they like that. They do a lot of cleaning. It looks like. Ideal, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) But yeah, so very quickly in the film, you kind of realize that something fishy is going on. Florence Pugh's character, Alice, is kind of picking up on some inconsistencies in the stories that people are telling about their uh, marriages, how they met their partner, um, so on and so forth. And she also has a friend in the town who has become kind of a pariah. Everyone thinks that she's kind of crazy. She had an incident where she wandered off in the desert with her son, and then only she came back. And it's very clear that she's suffering some kind of um psychological distress, and mm-hmm. eventually uh Florence Pugh witnesses her falling off of her roof. And there's a lot of gaslighting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that specifically, because mm-hmm. I just watched this yesterday. Yeah. Since it came to HBO Max, I mm-hmm. didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. And I watched it right before you told me it was going to be <laughs> your topic for the week. And I was like, oh, good. I'm glad I saw it just in time then. Mm-hmm. And throughout with all of the gaslighting, I was like, Oh man, this is like cat's <laughs> like hot button issue is ah, people so good. being gaslit.
1: It, it like emotionally gets me so involved with any plot. <laughs> oh my God. And it was really well done. And in my notes that I took after watching it for the first time, I was thinking that Olivia Wilde would be a perfect choice of director for Southern Book Club do you um, think? I think ah. that the tension and the gaslighting direction was really good. I'm picturing, you know, the dinner scene where Chris Pine is, like, having dinner and they're all having a dinner their party. hmm Yeah. And she's, like, confronting Chris Pine about all of these inconsistencies she's noticing. Mm-hmm. And then he just, like, totally undermines her. Yes. That's exactly what I'm picturing of, like – the The confrontation scene from Southern Book Club, and then right. the the other character I can't remember his name now um the the vampire, yeah, uh kind of like undermining all of that, and the husband's all like taking his side, Ugh oh, I think she would do a really good job with it, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if you mentioned, but Olivia Wilde directed this film, yes, yes. yeah.
0: I think that's a good
1: call. I think you're right. I think I think it would, would be good. Well suited for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought that this film had a lot of really good performances. In general, what I was seeing on Rotten Tomatoes was like, Florence Pugh salvages the really bad film. And I was like, mm. I completely disagree. I think that everyone's performances were really good. Obviously, Florence Pugh's performance was fantastic and really elevated the film, but I do think that everyone else did a really nice job. I'm always really taken by Florence Pugh's ability to express her emotions in such a realistic way, like the character's emotions in a very realistic way, because I think that there's this idea that actresses have to be beautiful in everything that they do and graceful and... Um I think that Florence Pugh is not afraid to um like fully express this range of emotion like when she's crying it's not a pretty cry or like in Midsommar when she is like grieving
2: mm-hmm. that
1: is like a painfully it's just like gut-wrenching to watch her emote in those scenes and I think that she showed a lot of that emotional range in this film as well I love Florence Pugh as the, as the lead. I specifically love Olivia Wilde's performance as Bunny, um, Mm -hmm. who ends up being like Florence Pugh's best friend, um, in this group. And I think that Bunny is a lot of fun to watch. And I like what they did with her character in the end as well. And like, uh I I just really liked that reveal at the end so um yeah the her performance was fantastic and Chris Pine is such a compelling antagonist I I don't think I've ever seen him act in a role where he is not the good guy and they might exist but usually he's like a protagonist character and oh man his gaslighting <laughs> um yeah, it was very pff, evocative. Um, and then the last performance that I wanted to touch on was obviously Harry Styles as Jack, was really good. And I wasn't sure what to expect because I'd only seen him act in Dunkirk right. and he did a good job in that, but it was a much smaller role. Um, and there were a lot of Uh, other performances um, that were kind of overshadowing his in Dunkirk as well. Right. And not a lot of dialogue. And not a lot of dialogue, yes. But I thought he was great in Don't Worry Darling. There is one specific scene where he just absolutely elevated, as an actor for me, the scene where they're getting in the car to leave Mm -hmm. the the town. Um, so I'm going to get into spoilers because this has been out for quite a while. Um, but yeah, I, I can't really talk about the rest of the movie without getting into spoilers, but, um, I'll put in a, a timestamp in the show notes for you guys to jump to, to skip to the overlap, I suppose. Um, if you have not watched this film, um. But, so, in the scene where they're getting into the car and Florence Pugh is being dragged uh from the vehicle by the um like people in red suits, yeah, <laughs> this is like where we break with like this idea that this is all real, and it very quickly from this point devolves into a black mirror episode to me, um which it. I just thought it was so cool what they did with the twist. Um, I found it very satisfying, but, um, Jack keeps saying like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the scene goes on for an uncomfortably long time of Alice screaming at Jack to like help her and like, let's get out of here.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
1: uh, For a couple moments after she's been pulled from the car, he just sits there and, like, just loses it a bit. He's, like, really upset, and uh, I just thought that it was a great show of emotion. And it kind of makes you ask a lot of questions about Jack's motivations and, like, why he's doing what he's doing. Because shortly after that scene, you flash back to what was happening before they moved to this town. And so we basically have this flashback to modern day America, and we can see Alice and Jack like living this normal life. Jack has lost whatever job that he had before. And Florence Pugh's character is a doctor. She like is a surgeon and um, she has this like really successful career And she gets home really late. They kind of have an argument about how she's home late and he didn't order dinner yet because he didn't know what she wanted. And so he's really hungry and he's just like, just this very codependent and needy partner. And it's, that scene ends with you watching Jack, like, listen to these inspirational, motivational speakers. Type talks on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it, the general theme of those talks is that you can reinvent yourself. Like you can be the person that you were meant to be, but you're, um, not able to do that because of modern society. And it's just like this, uh, really strange kind of radical ways of thinking. And then, you start putting together the pieces that, like, none of that world is real, and that, um, Jack has basically just captured Florence Pugh's consciousness and put her into this, like, alternate reality computer program, um, where he can live his own perfect life. But he is insistent on, this idea that he's done it for her because she was never happy. There is a, like a final scene between Jack and Alice where she confronts him about what he's done. She remembers everything. And Jack keeps insisting that he, she was unhappy that she used to work all the time and that it was making her unhappy. So Jack took all of that unhappiness away from her and It's really clear that Jack was unhappy in that situation. Florence Mm -hmm. Pugh wasn't – Alice wasn't unhappy in that situation.
0: Yeah, she says she loved her work and she was happy working.
1: Yeah, but he didn't like that she wasn't just, like, always around to be Mm -hmm. with him and they couldn't have this, like, picture-perfect life that he envisioned. And so he, like, projects that unhappiness that he's feeling onto his relationship with Florence – or with uh, Alice – So, I saw a lot of like reviews online about how this was just a take on really common feminist tropes in film, and where I think that it kind of deviates from that like traditional Stepford Wives type, um, trope. Trope, yes. Is that I really believe that Jack has convinced himself that he is doing this for non-selfish reasons. And I mean, I think that he really believes that he is like doing all of this for her happiness and he can't face the own reality of his actions. And then he gets way too deep into it and he can't get out. And I think that that last scene is really interesting because there's this confrontation. And then there's like this moment of almost forgiveness by Alice where she like hesitates for just a moment and she kind of sees things from Jack's perspective for just a second and is like we can get out of this together and like like you did something real fucked up but like we can get out of this together and it's not clear if that's like coming from a f- survival perspective or what but then Jack is like down on his knees and he's hugging her and he keeps hugging her like tighter and tighter because he just, I think he just doesn't like that things aren't going his way. And it's not how he imagined it. It's not how he envisioned it. And that leads to Florence like hitting him over the head with one of the, the low ball glasses that is sitting on the the table. But it's so interesting because in that moment, I as like an audience member didn't really know exactly what I wanted to happen because it was like Florence's hesitation made me hesitate as an audience member. And I just thought that was really interesting. And like, it almost makes you want, it it makes you see that their relationship did have potential and that she really does care for him. And like, it almost tricks you into wanting her to like make, something work still and then she has like this moment of clarity and you as the audience member have that moment of clarity as well yeah it was just a really interesting way to showcase those themes i don't know i thought it was cool (sighs) yeah i think the
0: film did a really good job in my mind Mm -hmm. while i was viewing it i saw many instances of them underscoring how in love Jack and Alice were Mm -hmm. and I think that was genuine I don't think that was you know a result of being in the simulation or anything of that nature I think she very much loved Jack and Mm -hmm. that was evident in you know that scene that you mentioned where she's dragged out of the car like that's Mm -hmm. one of the things she keeps repeating I believe as Mm -hmm. she's dragged away because she she can't believe that He's allowing her to be taken away because she loves him so much. She can't comprehend that type of betrayal.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And that love for him persists until the very end. And that's part of what makes her struggle so brutal because she not only has to overcome these external forces of mm-hmm. this organization that wants to keep her in the simulation and all of that, but she ultimately has to overcome that love in order to preserve her herself. Yeah, and I think that they did a really good job of making Harry Styles' character Jack. In the reality portion of the movie yeah. I found his reality Character Extremely I just hated him yeah, <laughs> I, don't know. I yeah, absolutely sure. hated him Yeah, Which is remarkable Because it's like Harry Styles is one of the like Probably most charismatic People in the world mm-hmm. And to make To pull off such a detestable Character mm-hmm. I think is really a feat in itself Yeah And yeah. Yeah, I think they did they definitely showed the multi level structure of Alice's struggle to break out of that that simulated life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a hard decision that she has to come to, right? Because mm-hmm. there's there's apparently no way to get both of them out of it. She has to make a decision. Right. But yeah, the chemistry is really good between all of the characters. Like, I thought that Nick Kroll's character was really interesting, and I liked yeah. his um, chemistry with all the guys. I thought that um, Jack and Florence have really great chemistry. Like, it's really believable that they're in love with each other. And uh, yeah, that's what makes it all so difficult. Um, because, like, you're you're fighting with that, like, sense that they really love each other the whole movie and knowing that something fishy is up. Um, it was just a really strong film and I think that if you haven't gotten the chance to see it yet, it's definitely worth a watch and, um, don't be put off by like the, the bad reviews that are out there because I think a lot of that was tinted with like the drama surrounding its release as well. But it's a strong film by a a good female director. So
0: yeah, I definitely agree. I think it was unfairly maligned because mm-hmm. of the the drama surrounding the rollout of the film, yeah. which is so unfortunate because so many people put in a ton of work to yeah. make a feature film, mm-hmm. and for it to be you know, not received well because of basically
1: personal petty drama. Yeah.
0: Petty drama or like a failed media
1: rollout. Mm
0: -hmm. That's so unfortunate.
1: Yeah. And
0: yeah, I, I agree. I think people should give it, give it a try regardless. I think it's a strong film. It's certainly competent filmmaking Mm -hmm. visually. It's an incredible
1: I love that environment,
0: yeah. The aesthetic of the simulation is so consistent Mm -hmm. and pleasing, and, god, the wardrobe, incredible. Mm -hmm. They did, I mean, just it's visually uh, an incredible film. So yeah, I totally agree. I think people should give it a shot and just, like, evaluate it on its own merit.
1: Yeah, that's streaming on HBO Max. Yeah, I guess that's all I had to say about it. Did you overall like it then?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I read the reviews that uh, the the critics' consensus seemed to be that it was, you know, kind of well-worn territory. But I think it was an interesting take, and I, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know why people had such a problem with it. I think it's well worth viewing. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was, it didn't get a fair, it, it didn't get a fair reception.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that Bunny's character also is a really interesting take on this too, because she is choosing to live in this world to avoid the trauma of the things that have happened in her life. And I think that, I think that that's really interesting. And
2: yeah. Uh,
1: Yeah, I really liked the inclusion of Bunny's character
0: as a contrast to, say, Alice's character, uh or I want to say Margaret was the other character who found out the truth about the simulation. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that was her name. Uh Yeah, I think that was a really interesting counterpoint or counterperspective to include someone who's there voluntarily, because... They are basically psychologically dependent on the simulation rather than someone who is coming to realize that they are imprisoned by the simulation. Yes. And I also thought you made a great point when you discussed how Jack has basically convinced himself that he is doing a good thing for Alice Mm -hmm. in trapping her in the simulation. And I think. That you're correct, and I think he even, his character even takes it a little bit farther, in that he kind of acts like this martyr figure Mm -hmm. for the two of them, because he talks about, there's, for some reason, there's a rule in the simulation that the men have to exit it and spend X amount of time in the real world. Mm Mm-hmm while the wives just stay in the simulation all the time. Mm -hmm. And he hates going out into the real world because it's not – it can't compare to the simulation. Mm -hmm. And he goes back to being, like, basically a a huge piece of shit. And so (laughs) (laughs) – Yeah. um, To him, he's like a martyr for – Alice, because he's protecting her from the reality that he's convinced himself she was unhappy in, and Mm -hmm. he's the man of the relationship, so he should carry that burden and shield her from that reality when, you know, her character actually wanted to be a part of the real world and was a successful part of the real world. And just because he was unhappy with his life and basically underachieving Mm -hmm. he robbed her of that participation in the real world and then acted like he was a hero for it
1: and i think that's really what got under my skin about his character yeah and i also think that he feels like alice is being taken away from him when she is at work for long hours and he feels like entitled to this time That Alice is spending at work. And so this is like a perfect scenario for him. And he is... Saying, "Oh well, she's really unhappy when she gets home from work." But no, she's unhappy because you're being a piece of shit. She's not yeah. unhappy about work. She left work feeling great. She yeah. got home and then was an immediately like told that she's not doing a good job in her relationship and she's not taking good enough care of you. And she was like, "You're a grown man.
0: Yeah, you don't and need he to be being taken care like of."
1: A petulant
0: baby, and that's like it's obviously so she's not happy with yeah. you.
1: But he, in his mind, twisted that into being like, "Oh, she's unhappy because she was working too hard, and not because I'm being a jerk." I so I know, yeah. That it's, scene was really good. I liked that whole, uh, like flashback sequence. That was cool.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Should we get into our friend diagram?
0: Yeah, let's do our friend diagram.
1: What do these two? What do these two things have in common? One thing I wrote down. While you were talking about um, something in the dirt was that these individuals, like the main characters, or one of the main characters is like a chronic underachiever Mm -hmm. um, and sees this project as an opportunity to meet his true potential. Right. Or achieve his true potential. Um, And that makes me think of like this like reinventing yourself kind of concept that harry styles is a character jack is going through in don't worry darling and um he sees himself as like this failure in modern day society but can reinvent himself by doing all of these crazy things so
0: yeah completely one. i definitely i wrote that down as well that mm-hmm. um that underachievement um uh, motivating people to make these decisions mhm um yeah, and there's definitely a general a sense of conspiracy and paranoia that mm-hmm. pervades both of these progressively throughout both of the films. Yeah. Um yeah. as as um Alice, you know, comes to understand more about her surroundings and as um one of the characters in Something in the Dirt sort of begins attributing the things they're seeing to more and more obscure and elaborate
1: conspiracies. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. And, like, generally, there's a, a sci-fi undercurrent yes. to both of these. I mean, Don't Worry Darling has, like, a pretty heavy sci-fi element toward the end, but um, throughout the film, you don't really know that that's what's going on there.
2: Right. I
1: wrote down, <sighs> down a point, and now I don't remember what I meant by it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Say it out loud and jugularly.
0: It's about it's about the well, the way you described it, the way you interpreted it was Jack listening to like TED Talks or lectures or something. Yeah. I interpreted it, it as like a podcast, like one of those like fucking how to be an alpha male. Yeah. And yeah, I think I said part, like, like motivational speaker. Yeah. Do you, you know person. the kind of podcast I mean, though, that they're like geared towards men and it's like, this is how you need to act to get yeah, all the things sure. you want? That's how I self kind of, help type. Yeah. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would say that that's a more accurate characterization. That's what I, because there's only like a really small audio
0: sample that we hear from Mm -hmm. whatever Jack is listening to. And immediately like, that's how I filled in that gap is like, he's listening to like that kind of podcast that like tells men how to act and all this shit, which made sense to me because that those types of like alpha male advice things are Mm -hmm. often about control and Mm -hmm. exerting control on the people around you and of course that includes Alice. So yeah, something about that (laughs) just, um, I don't remember now what, what the bridge was Mm -hmm. to something in the dirt from that specific element. I mean, it could go back to that, like, I think it's just about that specific susceptibility to that type of material and portraying what it looks like for, um, a, um, a guy, I guess, in the current times, what it looks like when someone encounters that type Mm -hmm. of content and really latches onto it. Yeah. Um, because one of the characters in Something in the Dirt, he gets really invested in, like, I guess, I think it's Reddit or, mm-hmm. you know, these probably. conspiracy-oriented things you know, when mm-hmm. he's investigating what's going on in the apartment. And just the portrayal of that element of, of I don't know, I don't want to say internet culture because
1: that's too broad. Like, extreme, like, I think that Jack is, he probably, like, came across this like one article and then dove deeper and deeper and deeper into this mindset. And now it has totally convinced him he's totally like under complete, almost brainwashing of this mindset into thinking that he's doing the right thing one. Mm -hmm. And I think that the same is true for like conspiracy theories on the internet, where you might um, hear about Pizzagate and be like, okay, let's, Learn more about that. And then you end up, like, going down into, like, more and more extreme conspiracy theories. And then you truly believe that all of these crazy conspiracy theories are true.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I think that that might be kind of similar to what you were touching on. I think so, yeah. And, like, what happens when you latch on to that way of thinking. But I think, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to watch Something in the Dirt. I think that'll be really good. Yeah. Too bad we don't have it in theaters here. I don't think... Yeah, I think I looked it up to see if it was at Mm -hmm. our favorite independent cinema, but I
0: don't think it is. There was a really interesting part of the Q&A where this guy asked a question, Mm -hmm. and he said something I was thinking throughout the movie, which was that this reminds me a lot of House of Leaves. I was thinking that that, while I was watching the trailer. Yeah, because it reminds me of, like, the experience of the characters kind of reminds me both of the Zampano part mm-hmm. but also the the Johnny part of cool. the of the book in that they're kind of like mentally unraveling trying to get to the the bottom of this mystery but also mm-hmm. they're trying to document and describe the mystery and connect it to other obscure references at the same mm-hmm. time very much in the way the zampano manuscript element does that mm-hmm. and this this guy pointed that out and i immediately i was like yes i was thinking the exact same thing mm-hmm. and um justin benson was like was like yeah i totally get what you're saying and he's like i actually have a house of leaves tattoo And I was like, "Oh wow! I knew this was. I knew this had to be intentional in some way, Mm -hmm. as like um, you know, just spiritually similar to that vibe." Um, and I was just really pleased by that.
1: That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh, that that would have been so cool to watch. Yeah. I bet they're really cool dudes. Yes, they seem like it. Mm -hmm. But they would be perfect for that adaptation. (gasps) They could do the
0: adaptation. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, I think you've solved the unsolvable riddle of who could tackle A House of Leaves adaptation. Mhm. Interesting. I wonder if they would do an adaptation. They only do original stuff I know. from what I've seen, but yeah. I bet they
1: would I bet they would consider it. Ah, uh, oh, well. That. Another overlap is that we have two director suggestions for two different adaptations.
0: Yes, that we want to see. Oh, excellent call. Hmm. Oh, I would not mind <laughs> seeing. <that. laughs> Bye for now.